So I've talked on the show multiple times about how much I love the visual language of cinema, how much I love cinematography, how much I love telling stories within a two-dimensional frame. Uh, and as a director, sometimes I find it frustrating because when you're shooting stuff with a camera, when you're shooting stuff on location, you're dealing with some of the basic things that will never change, whether it's gravity, whether it's the size of the space, whether it's whether or not you can actually take a wall out to put a lens in where it specifically needs to be. Um, <clears throat> and it's at those moments that I am incredibly envious of animators and of animation. Now, I don't know how many of you that are listening to the show are about my age, grew up at my time period. Um, in for me, being a teenager, it was like the mid to late 90s. Um, and okay, let's travel back in time. This is a period before YouTube. This was a time before online videos. Uh, we were still deep in video stores. Uh, DVDs were the new rage. Um, and uh, there was still a big issue with getting foreign films licensed for video release in the U.S. Now, you know I'm a Godzilla nut, and that was a big thing for me when I would go into the comic book store and I would see all these action figures for Godzilla movies that I had no idea existed. And there was a whole reboot that happened through Toho. I did a whole episode on that. There was a whole reboot that happened with Godzilla in the 90s, and I had essentially only seen one of them. I remember seeing a poster for the Biollante movie and just going like, what the fuck? How come I can't get these? Uh, and it was years later, it was years after that, that I was able to find those. But in the process of finding those films, I also found a lot of really insane anime movies. Now, looking back, of course, 2020, hindsight's 2020, everybody's like, well, Akira is amazing. Well, Akira was such a mind-blowing film for me. Uh, just, I mean, we all grew up, I grew up with, you know, younger brothers and sisters, so we saw the Disney animated films like a bazillion times. I can't even go back and watch them anymore. Like, I know every fucking lyric to the Little Mermaid tracks because I was tortured by my younger sisters with that film. So when I watched Akira, Akira had that same level of quality as far as the animation was concerned, but it seemed to go further. Like the characters seemed twice as real. The explosions seemed heightened. The reality seemed heightened. The action just felt like it was a ball of energy, like literally ready to jump off the screen. Um, and I fell in love with it instantly. And it wasn't until years and years later that uh you know we all saw the matrix and i went and i saw the matrix and the matrix blew my mind and then i started to do the research into where they came up with their ideas for the matrix and it turns out the matrix is essentially ghost in a shell right it's essentially the ghost in the shell anime uh and how many of you have seen that animated feature if you haven't seen ghost in a shell go watch it it's amazing it really changes your mind on how animated films are paced. It changes your mind on how uh, animation can look hyper real. And that's one of the things I love about Japanese animation, specifically anime from like the 1980s, the 90s. Um, I really like that exaggerated 
perspective that they're able to put on it. And the thing that's really fascinating is that they're consistently referencing film stuff. So you'll see animators start to draw lens bowing and bokeh and angles uh, because it's part of the language of cinema. So they'll sit there and they'll go, okay, maybe this shot should be with an 18 mil or like a 15 millimeter, which is a super fisheye lens. And you'll see them drawing that. But what they get to do in anime is they can, they can actually distort, lens distort specific portions of the frame that would never make sense in reality. And they get to do it to further heighten the experience, to further push that emotion that they're trying to sell. It's really cool shit. And we're seeing some of that in live action with, you know, the progression of 3D animation, the progression of compositing and visual effects. Um, and we're seeing that play. But oftentimes when I watch a comic book movie or if I watch a movie that's supposed to be uh, based on an anime, I think the one thing that is really holding it back, the one thing that really um, doesn't get to the point that the anime does is the fact that they're grounded in reality in some 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 way, ultimately. You know, uh, Robert Rodriguez did a really good job with the Sin City movies, and he kind of broke the normal uh, conception of what that was. And they also did a pretty good job with it uh, in 300 uh, by changing the environment and changing the atmosphere. But at the end of the day, like the human figure on in a lens, unless you're using like a, like a Hype Williams super fisheye, still looks like the human figure like dimensionally or like uh as far as like the length of its legs or the length of its of its head and how it's positioned in the frame it's still sort of rooted in reality and anime can really fuck with that which i fucking love and animation um is very exciting to me because of that now i'm not going to get into animating because it seems like a fucking torturous task <laughs> <laughs> 24 frames per second animating every one of those frames per second i mean that sequence from um akira where one of the uh the bike riders falls off the bike one of the motorcycle guys falls off the bike and he rolls on the street and he literally rolls and you see every side of this character in slow motion meaning that they had to animate every fold of his coat and the dimensions of his leg on both sides had to match. I mean, it's so fucking complicated and so beautiful. Um, and it just seems like, uh, especially the animation studios out of Japan, they love to torture themselves with that stuff and really do the best work possible. And when you're looking at a lot of the anime stuff that uh, is on Netflix right now, um, the problem with great animation is that it takes time. It takes a lot of fucking time to do that stuff. And so there's a lot of shortcuts. There's a lot of like, maybe you're only animating 12 frames per second. There's a bunch of fascinating tricks that people use to try to expedite the amount of time it takes to make these pieces. But it kind of suffers for it, you know? And you know what? I'm going to say that generally across the board for a lot of streaming stuff. I think the fact that we need to binge everything and the fact that it has to come out so quickly and it has to satisfy our gluttonous need as a viewer, kind of sacrifices the visual quality uh, often, it does. I'm not necessarily saying that it, it sacrifices cinematography, because we've talked about this, like the lighting's amazing, all that stuff's really great, but I think oftentimes the reason for composition, the reason why two people are blocked a certain way is more so just for coverage. 
And I think at most in that constraint that a lot of filmmakers have when they're doing stuff for streaming is that they can find a, t a trick or a technique and exploit that specific trick or technique. But to actually sit down and spend weeks and months and years, I mean, look at fucking George Miller storyboarding out uh, Fury Road, years making sure that each and every one of those compositions meant something. Positions of power. Why is a person bigger than another person? How do they shift in the frame? If it is a wonder, what are we explaining? I just watched a really great video essay. Uh, I forget who did it, and I'm a fucking piece of shit for not remembering and not tagging it, but I watched a really great video essay on Spielberg's blocking the other day. Just, just look it up. Type it in the YouTube's uh, Steven Spielberg blocking. Um, and holy shit, dude. It was on, on a Minority Report, and his, his work on Minority Report is so subtle, so invisible, but so masterful. And then it isn't until you examine it. It isn't until you watch a, like a video essay like I'm referencing that I'm not actually referencing. <laughs> but it isn't until you watch something like that that you go, fuck, this is what makes somebody a director. And not just somebody pretending to be a director. Not someone that wants to be a director. Having that kind of control over the invisible themes in visual storytelling is amazing. But let's bring it back to animation because that's what today's show is all about. It's about animation um, because I think it's a, a still a amazing uh, way to tell stories. Uh, and I know a bunch of different animators. I'm friends with a bunch of different animators. Um, and <clears throat> because of the power of Instagram, I should get fucking sponsored by you guys with how many times I talk about it. Um, the power of getting lost in Instagram and one of the Instagram feeds, I stumbled across uh, this guy and I fucking fell in love with his work. And it's completely obvious that he has the same sense of humor that I do and that he loved the same movies that I did when I grew up um, because you can smell it all over his work. Um, and I, like I said, instantly fell in love with it. So if you're on Instagram, <clears throat> type in Shane Daring. So it's S-H-A-N-E-D-E-R-I-N-G. Now Shane is an animator and designer at Adult Swim. So he does all of those really cool animated tags for Adult Swim. It's a really cool position. I've already recorded this episode, so I already know what we're going to talk about. I can give you a little tease of it. We talk about what it's like to be an animator at Adult Swim. He talks about how cool that company is. It seems like it's a cool company, right? Because we all see Rick and Morty and all these different shows that just seem to be edgy, seem to be breaking some sort of rule. Uh, and from what I understand from Shane, that company has its own building, they play by their own rules, and they do their own really rad stuff. Um, and he absolutely loves his job. Um, which is a strange thing because most of the time you're talking to people that go and get quote unquote a nine to five, like a freelancer's nine to five. And eventually they get sick of it. These guys let him do basically whatever the hell he wants. And if you go through his animation, you can see how fucking rad it is. I mean, he, these clips that are on his uh, Instagram are just phenomenal. My favorite clip is this one. I like to call it the cat butthole. I love this clip. This is the reason why I got him on the show. 
was when I saw this clip, I'm like, dude, I got to talk to this guy. Seems so rad. And so if you're feeling envious right now and you're like, well, Michael, there isn't visuals for this. We just heard a track. That's because you're not on Instagram like I fucking told you to. (laughs) So today's episode is going to be about animation. It's going to be about how Shane got started. Uh, It's going to talk a a bunch about Adult Swim. It's going to talk a lot about we're going to get fucking nerdy about these animated movies that we grew up and we fell in love with. Now, here's the thing. We're all trapped inside right now. The news was released yesterday. I'm recording this on Friday. and It'll come out next week. So news was, was new. Jesus Christ, my mouth. News was released yesterday that here in Los Angeles, we're not allowed to leave our houses, right? So we're all trapped inside, and everybody is desperately looking for something to watch, looking for something to binge. So Shane and I will talk a lot about the animated movies that we loved, Growing up, hopefully you guys will be inspired to go watch those and stay tuned because at the end of this episode, I will rattle through a list of recommendations for animes out of the late 80s, early 90s that you probably don't know exist. And some of them are really hard to find. Some of them you have to actually dig through YouTube and find them in different places to get. End of the episode, I will talk about that. I will give you my list. And I want to say this before we get going. I really appreciate you guys continuing to support the show. Those of you who follow me on Instagram at Mike Petchy, you know that I have been posting a ton of new stuff. I uh, just finished that Czarface video uh, with Tom Segura and Christina P. And I put up all sorts of behind the scenes stuff on that. If you go to my website, MikePetchy.com, I do sort of a detailed uh, look at the art behind Bizarro, the art behind Zarface. You can find that at MikePetchy.com. And uh, if you haven't noticed, there has been a lot of new episodes, right? I know that uh, last Friday, you had a nice little reminder. Those of you who are following us on Apple Podcasts and you get your little alerts, it was like, holy shit, there's another episode. What the fuck is this about? Well, here's the thing. We're all trapped inside. We're all dealing with this coronavirus issue. We're all dealing with the uncertainty of the future. So I decided to do a second podcast every week. So this is a Friday podcast, and we'll do it as long as I can physically do it. And Liam is helping me out big time with this. Uh, Liam has now moved to an associate producer's role on the show, everybody, so... Give him a round of applause for being a great intern and someone that has proved how valuable he is to the show. And so he's sticking around for a bit longer to help me out, busting his ass while trapped in his apartment with way too many fucking people over there. I don't know how you're not going insane, Liam. Um, But so what we're going to do is Fridays, Thursday, Fridays, every week, we're going to release an episode that is different than these episodes. It'll be different than the main show. Um, And it's going to be us talking about how to stay motivated, how to stay creative, how to stay sane, how to not to go fucking insane, how not to murder your girlfriend or how not to put a knife in your boyfriend's throat on week two. Um, Because a lot of you listening have never 
diverted from the nine to five lifestyle. Um, and I think you can learn a lesson or two from us freelancers that do this all the fucking time. I don't know how many of my pals, whether they're writers or editors, that are like, this is no different than every day for me. Um, and so it's not that we know more than you. We're just going to share a little bit of helpful information on how to set up a healthy routine and maybe tackle those projects that you've always wanted to handle. Maybe finally sit down and learn a new language. Maybe figure out how to bake some bread. There's a bunch of different things to do. Um, and that's for the other episode. So we're calling it the, uh, what are we calling it? The Not the Corona episode. Uh, hold on a sec. I'll look it up right now because I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> So it is the self-quarantine mini-series, the COVID-19 self-quarantine mini-series. You will find that at inlovewiththeprocess.com or on any of the podcast streaming services that you are subscribed to. And if you like the show, if you have questions, if you have comments, uh, feel free to either leave comments with the episode, uh, comment on your streaming services, or write to me at Mike Petchy on Instagram, or the podcast Instagram, which is in love with the process pod. That's in love with the process, P-O-D on Instagram. Okay, so uh, enough promotion of that bullshit. Let's see, what else is going on? I've got some cool stuff on the horizon, uh, stuff that we'll talk about. We're still booking shows, still booking guests. So you'll have right now two shows a week. This one, which is going to be our standard programming and like I said, the self-quarantine miniseries, which will be a little bit different. Um, so hopefully you guys are enjoying all of this. And if you want to support the show, and I know that times are tough and the world is uncertain right now, the easiest way to do so is to go and sign up for an Audible free trial using our code and we'll put the links below but if you go to audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process there you can sign up for a 30-day free trial it's not going to cost you a fucking dime if you haven't done this already it's important that you haven't already done this because i know a lot of other podcasts are hawking off the same fucking deal if you haven't done it with them do it with us and everybody that signs up you get 30 days for free you get a free audiobook you get access to all their audio content which is really great after 30 days, you're probably going to want to stick around because you're going to be hooked on some books and you got to keep listening to them. But if not, just cancel. No big deal on our part. Uh, we still get paid either way. And it's cash that goes to the show without costing you a dime. How's that? Right? Pretty good deal. Anyway, so let's get into it. So you know the deal. Grab those noise-canceling headphones. Uh, find a section of the house that you're not normally in, do yourself a favor. Find a place in the house that is your little theater, that is your little listening area. Get comfortable. Those of you on the East Coast, grab a blanket. Even those of you on the fucking West Coast, it's cold as shit and rainy. It's been raining here in California for almost fucking 10 days. So find a nice, comfortable spot. Drink lots of fluids, everybody. And vitamin C. Get yourself some vitamin C. Get yourself some fluids. Get yourself a nice cup of tea. That's what I've been pounding these days. Some tea and some lemon. Get yourself a nice warm cup of tea. Grab those noise-canceling headphones. Tell your roommates to fuck off. Sit back. Relax. And enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. 
Hey, Shane, thanks for being on the show, my man. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for inviting me on. I have to say that uh, I, I found your work. Well, I mean, I'd seen your work. Uh, on Adult Swim, but I found your work and I really sort of dug into your stuff through Instagram recently. Cool. Very Uh, cool. uh, Specifically, I've been torturing everybody that I know with that, uh, what I like to call the butthole cat uh, animation. Oh, Oh, yeah, that one. (laughs) That's awesome. Dude, I love that one. It's so great. It's all about A, the cat's butthole, but B, the super sweet uh, highlight that runs through the cat's eyes as it looks at you. I thought that was really cool. Oh, yeah. What a great first thing to talk about, the cat butthole. (laughs) Classic. (laughs) This is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show (laughs) is that I feel like you have the same sense of humor I have. I really enjoy um, the tone of all your pieces, dude. Thank you, man. It's... um I don't always do stuff like that, but you know, every once in a while, it's super fun to just like make something really dumb. Just, you know, who cares, you know, have some fun with it. You don't always do cats buttholes. Is that what you're saying? No, <laughs> no, I only do cats buttholes. That's, that's my market. <laughs> that's my brand is cat, cat buttholes. No, I mean, yeah, you know, um, <laughs> uh, okay. So let's catch the audience up. So uh, you're an animator, you're a uh, designer over at Adult Swim. How long have you been doing this? Um, about three years uh, for Adult Swim. Nice. Um, yeah, three years full-time. And I was there as a while for a con- as a contractor working with them as well. But um, yeah, three years is like a, a, I don't know, as a creative. Uh, I, I sometimes wear a lot of hats. I do, you know, illustration design and animation for them. But yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's a great company, great people, great sense of humor. Um, yeah. Yeah. Dude, I mean, they have the greats, man. Rick and Morty's a fucking killer show on there. Like, everything that they put out yeah. has been fucking awesome. And then you've been essentially just doing, you've been uh, animating all, like, the ads for them, correct? Is that the deal? Yeah, um, that's what I do. I don't work on the shows directly, um, which is kind of a good thing. It means that I get to touch all of their properties. I'm not kind of... I'm not pigeonholed into just one particular show. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll do promotional material um, for those shows that run on air and on social media. And then um, also my favorite part of the job of the gig is is doing the occasionally doing network idents and bumps for Adult Swim. And they, you know, they, they play in between the commercials and at the end it has the Adult Swim logo in the brackets. And those are, those are super fun because sometimes those are, show centric, but they're very loose. You know, you can break the character models Mm -hmm. and push whatever kind of style you want. And then sometimes they're just totally off the top, like original content that has nothing to do with any of our properties. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's a, it's a really good time. It's, it's, it's a super creative environment, super, um, everyone's super helpful, super nice and, um, really intense, really fast paced, but, um, that's definitely, a plus for me because it, it's, it's, you know, if you can keep up, then you can, if you can ride with them, then you can make some really good stuff and you learn things really quickly. And that's what it's all about. Cool. And you guys are in uh, Atlanta, right? Is that where you are? Yeah. Based out of the ATL. Yeah. We're right like in Midtown where the highway cuts everything in half. Um, yep. Yeah. So yeah, like uh, Cartoon Network, which we're really the same company, Cartoon Network and Adult Swim, same same people, but uh, we are kind of like split across the street. 
So Cartoon Network is like grouped with the rest of like Warner Media's properties because they own us now. Actually, AT&T owns us with this whole <laughs> merger recently. Um, so technically I work for a phone company, <laughs> but um, yeah, like the, you know, Cartoon Network's over across the street with like TNT and TBS, CNN and everything. And then mm-hmm. Adult Swim is like its bastard child that wanted to be completely separate. So we're in this like this old TBS brick building that has like no Adult Swim branding on it, just like all the way across the highway. Um, <laughs> Cause we don't, uh, you know, the whole inception of Adult Swim was built based around being like kind of like the oddball stepchild. So I guess we operate best without sort of like big wig interaction. Yeah, so we're yeah. kind of we're kind of all by ourselves out there, which is good and bad. You know, most mostly good though. Uh, Atlanta's a cool spot, man. I've had some crazy, weird adventures in Atlanta. Actually, <laughs> had some I strange bet. adventures. Like, oh, dude, come it's on! A it's a cool like, city. It's a crazy city. It's home of yeah. like like amazing hip hop, amazing music. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, strip club central. Uh, weird <laughs> strip club central. Strange spot. Uh, and then they. They have like their own version of like some sort of. Don't you guys have like a hot chicken down there or something like that? What's the big? Yeah. What's the I don't, big I don't, food? I don't know, man. Um, I'm still kind of sussing the whole food scene out, but it's they definitely we definitely have like you know the southern comfort type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, really good biscuits, like really good breakfast spots. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, hot chicken in the south is always like a, a huge thing. You know, like Nashville, like Tennessee hot chicken and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then um, it sort of hits a point where it's like, what am I doing? Just fucking torturing myself? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some of that, that hot stuff. chicken stuff, it's just like, fuck, god damn it. <laughs> oh, that stuff's ridiculous. There's this chain, I don't know if it's out on the West Coast, but it's called Hattie Bees. I've it's heard like of it. this, okay, yeah, yeah. It's like this hot chicken place. And we have I think we have one in like in Georgia. Um but there's one in Birmingham and there's one in uh, Nashville. But um, yeah, yeah, it's like ridiculous, dude. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. I like hot food, but that's just like too much for me. Yeah, most exactly. of the time. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want. I don't want my guts falling out of my ass after I eat it. That's oh yeah, what it feels like when you do it. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh, cool. So then, uh, how? What did you? How did you get started with animation? Period. Did you go to school for it, or is this something that you did on your own? Like. How'd you get, how'd you get into it? Yeah, sure. I, no, I didn't go to school for it. Um, but I, you know, I was drawing my whole life since I can remember and, um, always really into, <clears throat> always really into comics, Spider-Man comics is I think probably what got me started being oh, interested in drawing and really what, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, what year was this? Um, I was born in 1994. So it was like the, I guess you'd say the late nineties, early two thousands. So mm-hmm. I, I missed the whole, like, as some would say, like the golden age. Uh, well, really what I guess I grew up with were the nineties comics. So a lot of Todd McFarlane yep. and uh, Mark Bagley. Yep. Um, yeah. And so I, I read a lot of the ultimate Spider-Man series, the ultimate Marvel runs with uh, uh, Bagley and um, Bendis. Yep. yep. Um, that's definitely what, I think that's probably what I, when I first realized that you could make a living as an artist or you can make a living as an illustrator um, or comic books. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's sometimes it's hard for me to try to trace back to the beginning, the inception of like what got me into all of this, but (laughs) I was always interested in drawing. And then eventually it's like, there's this realization that you have when you realize that, oh, you know, 2d animation, all it is, is just drawings and sequence. And once you kind of understand that, then it all, 
it starts to make sense in ter- like theoretically. I don't, it doesn't, you know, it's not like you can just hop in and do it, but it, it, it it's kind of like a natural life cycle. I think for a lot of hmm. a lot of illustrators that get into animation is like they're like, oh, well, I have these. I've like I know how to draw. I have these drawing tools already, and then why not sort of jump into to putting it into motion? And I think the first time I became enamored with the art form of animation, obviously all the Disney films, but those are just like those are so good even now, like looking back, like, Oh my God. I don't, I don't think I, I don't fetishize Disney films as much as others. You know, I'm like super into, um, Japanese animation. I'm super into anime. So Akira Mm -hmm. and Ghost in the Shell were probably the biggest influences for me Mm -hmm. as an animator, but those Disney films still are like uh, untouchable. I think they're just not right now. They're not in as much as other things like stylistically. Um, yeah, but, uh, those just were like magic to me. And when I was absorbing all those, when I was really young, you know, I was like four or five when I couldn't even like (laughs) comprehend what it was. It was just like, just magic, which is their whole stick, you know, but like, it really is like crazy to just think that like, Oh my God, those are like really all drawings. Like there's no trickery going on. It's really just like brute force, just like skill and time. Yeah. dude, Um, It's it's insane. When you go back and you look at like, Sleeping Beauty or like um, Sword in the Stone or like mm-hmm. some some of the classics. And it's like, fuck, dude. The amount of... It's really and, just bonkers. Dude, and animation in general, because, you know, I direct, so I do mm-hmm. live action stuff all the time. Um, and animation just seems like it's such a monotonous sort of time-consuming craft, you know? Like, it, how long does it take you to actually to bang out your uh, like little minute uh, animations that you have on uh, Instagram? I really, it's, there's such a, a broad range because it's, it's all kind of dependent on um, the style of the drawing, the drawing style, the art style and the animation style. Mm-hmm. So if it's like, if it's super simple, um, it, you know, it can be pretty quick, but um, it's, it's a labor intensive art form just inherently. So even the simplest things uh, take, do take a long time. So most, most of the stuff I'm doing for Adult Swim in particular is around 15 seconds because that's how long our, our interstitials are. That's how long our bumps are. Mm-hmm. So 15 seconds, you know, it'll take me a good, you know, I'd say 40 to 80 hours. So it's like a two to one to two week process wow. for something like that. And, uh, cause everything's really built, you know, it's, it's all hand drawn, um, digitally of course, but, um, st- still in that traditional sense where every frame is drawn separately. Um, and that's really just like that's the style that I prefer. There's there's a lot of other 2D animation styles out there, like um, like flash cartoons, like mm-hmm. uh, mid 2000s, like Cartoon Network type stuff, like um, Total Drama Island. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with things like that, but mm-hmm. that's like that's more you know rigid production pipeline. Like we need to get things out on a regular schedule, and we can't spend an insane amount of money on like um, this high end stuff because um, the more time you you know. The, the higher quality of the animation really just with 2d, it means the more talented illustrators you have on the team, the more talented animators you have and the more drawing there actually has to be yeah. per second and everything. So I, you know, growing up with all the traditional Disney films and, and really like getting into, you know, studio Ghibli movies and animation from France and Japan, that's like what I'm super interested in. So, so the style that I work in is potentially more time consuming than some others, but yeah, I'd say, you know, it's, it's definitely a labor of love. 
I definitely didn't get into it for for the money or the uh, the speed <laughs> at which I can produce things. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But dude, it's obvious that you are influenced by stuff like. See, I love Ghost in the Shell too, and I love Akira, mm. and I love. I thought the thing that was so yeah. fascinating about Japanese animation was that they really, quote unquote, took the camera in different places with the way they drew things. Like I really love they did. Yeah. The, the the lens perspective stuff that they draw and like the pacing and the camera movement and sort of like the breathing that was in the first Ghost in the Shell movie is just amazing. It's just fucking it's nuts, amazing. right? Yeah. yeah. It's ri- it blows my mind still and I'm I'm constantly, you know, when I when I need some inspiration or something, I, I throw that movie on and I just like watch it and I and, and I scrub through it frame by frame and I see like the decisions they're making and you see all this the you know the life in the in the strokes of the drawings are just so they're oh, they're dude. there. You can see it, it's palatable. And so yeah, dude, stuff I mean that's that's what I think caught my eye. Like even when I was like much younger when I didn't understand like why it was so good, right? You just mm-hmm. you just know it's good. Mm-hmm. Uh Ghost in the Shell and Akira, all those classic uh, 80s and 90s anime. It's it's so cinematic. It's so like it was so different from what I was used to seeing with Disney. Not to say that Disney is not cinematic, but it was just different. You know, like the re- directing style is different, the drawing style is different. But yeah, um, yeah, it felt so like much they, more. They felt like they were a lot more gutsy with how they were yeah. doing shit in the Japanese. Yeah, they were animation. much more adult oriented yeah. at times. You know, it was way more violent. That's you know. That's like, you know, growing up, I loved to watch Dragon Ball Z. I think Dragon Ball was the first thing that caught my eye from Japan just because it was like, because mm-hmm. it would play on Cartoon Network on their anime block late at night and it was just so violent. And, I, <laughs> and at the time, I didn't understand like what it was. Like, I didn't know it was from Japan. Um, I just thought it was like, oh, why, you know, this looks nothing like what I'm used to seeing. But it's so geared towards, uh, you know, I mean, it's still geared towards kids. I mean, kids can absorb this stuff. A lot of stuff produced in America, it's like, Oh, you think you've got to dumb it down for children, but you really don't. And I think that's why, like the the new breed of the new generation of like two D animators, their biggest influences were um, the, a lot of it's coming from Japan. Is because that's what's that's what stood out at the time, and it had these like really complex plot elements yeah. to it that that we weren't getting from like normal Saturday morning cartoons in the U.S. or even some Disney films. Um, yeah. yeah, dude, Ghost in the Shells. Oh man, one of the greatest of all time for sure. Yeah, I love that movie. I love absolutely everything about that movie, and and I'm also like a huge like Tokyo neo noir kind of nut. I'm a mm, huge, yeah, me too. Huge me too. new retro wave dude, and that's I think that's one of the reasons. The other reasons why I got really sort of attached to your animations because it's obvious that you like a lot of new retro wave, like a lot of that. Synth- yeah, dude, I love synth- that stuff, man. The whole design aesthetic, the sound. Wow. I listen to so much synth wave and uh, synth pop. Um, basically, if it sounds like the soundtrack from Drive, then I'm like all about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, dude, I love I love new retro wave. Um, yeah. Everything they put out, that whole record label and everything, they're great. Dude, I, I love all that stuff too, man. And it's, you're right on point with, um, you know, why that stuff, it seems so dangerous to me back when I used to watch that. And then recently I just dived in even deeper and I, I fell into a deeper hole with uh, like late 80s Japanese animation, like really violent stuff um, that I didn't know existed. And so I kind of stumbled so much. Like, uh, what the fuck was the name of that film? It was like Midnight, it was like Midnight Cop or something like that. I'd have to find it. 
Um, I'll post some links underneath this episode for stuff that I find really influential, but I fell in a hole recently and it was yeah. just like, fuck, dude. And some of it's really <laughs> great and some of it's kind of trash, but it's all yeah. like the aesthetic. I always say like the yeah. smell of it. It just feels mm -hmm. like a Tokyo that I want to go in, uh, you know, live in for like a week and a half <laughs> before, sure, I get, before I get murdered. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely you know absolutely dude some of those those i mean that's what that grungy 80s late 80s early 90s anime aesthetic is like it's it's the best man it's like to me it's where that art form hit its apex yeah because it was just like they they just fucking went for it and it's just so so much of it was just so batshit crazy and there's so so much of it every week i'm like seeing some new gif on the internet from something I've never seen. And then I, it's like, that's a deep dive into like this whole, you know, filmography of like endless, endless, like, uh, movies and series. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah. Dude. So, so much of it's so violent too. That's what's so great about it. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and before the internet and before streaming services, it was kind of a hard thing to find and get into because you'd go into some like underground, like, uh, anime store, and they'd just be like shelves of DVDs or shelves of VHSs mm -hmm. when I was a kid. And you're just like, I don't know what the fuck this is. And it like, uh, it, it took me later in my years. I think for me, I think that my first introduction to it obviously was Akira, but then mm. I didn't yeah. really dive into it until after I saw the matrix. Cause the matrix essentially was just ripping off ghost in the shell. Oh yeah. I mean, big time. I mean, it's a crazy, brilliant, film and original in so many ways but yeah like that whole yeah so much of that was 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 pulled from um ghost in the shell um Dude. yeah i didn't see that i didn't see that stuff till much later i i kind of growing up i mean like I, I was like in that i don't know the generation that's like right in between right when the internet started becoming like mainstream i guess mm -hmm. so i i didn't have access to a lot of this stuff when i was when i was like in my most impressionable phase so like Akira was definitely the first, like you said, it was like, that was the first thing that I think I saw that like really fucked me up yeah. uh, as a kid. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'd seen like a bunch of, I, you know, like I had all the VHS Disney films and then a couple like Ghibli films snuck their way in there. Cause my, not that my parents were against that obviously, but like they didn't know what it was and they saw it like, Oh, it's a cartoon. And they thought it was probably a Disney film or something. And I, I saw like, <laughs> you know, Kiki's delivery service and, mm -hmm. um, uh, spirited away. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea. I was like, why does this look so different? Um, and then I you know, eventually started to realize, Oh, it's like, oh, it's like this whole different thing. It's from Japan. But then like, I think when I was still pretty young, one of my buddies had a, a cop, a VHS copy of Akira. And I saw the cover. I was like, Oh, this looks like uh, Kiki's delivery service. And we watched <laughs> it. And then it just like, scared the shit out of me but then but, but I, I was hooked though i was like so obsessed with it because it was just so insane and beautiful um yeah and for me yeah. it's like all those like little moments that they seem to really articulate articulate well on the page where it's like if someone's if something's exploding they have like that almost like that bulge pause and then explosion that it's their pacing the that's really fucking yeah. crazy you know what i mean it's nuts, dude. That movie still Akira specifically is just really still untouched. It's un, it's almost unbeatable, and I know it's I know it's like a muse for many many people, um, myself for sure. Um, that's probably I mean as an animator, one of my biggest influences, 
and, and stylistically, you know, I'm obviously I love the eighties mm-hmm. um, and I love that whole aesthetic and I love cyberpunk and I love eighties, nineties anime. So that's like, you know, and that's one of the best ones ever made from that era. So it's like everything about that film is just gorgeous. And, and the attention to detail is that they didn't pull any punches and that, that, I mean, I could talk about this forever, but that movie alone, like almost bankrupted the anime industry because of how balls to the wall it was. It was so expensive. Oh, really? And, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. And it was so adult too. It was, it was kind of a risk even at that time to, to make something that big hmm. and that crazy and that, you know, that violent. And, and there's some serious, you know, serious adult themes running through that movie yeah. that, um, yeah, it's nuts. And they animated the whole thing and, and, and you know, and, on ones, which it means that every single frame was different, was, was drawn. And in, um, in 2d animation, a lot of the times things are drawn on twos, which effectively means that the frame rate is 12 frames per second, oh. because that's, you can still kind of get away with that, you know, drawing every, every other frame is a new drawing. And that's still like, that still can be super fluid. And even sometimes on like, you know, some tighter budgets or some more stylistic trendy, type stuff that that you can do animate on threes which drops it even lower but akira was all done on ones which is just fucking absolutely batshit crazy to do that because it's just so so i mean you got 20 24 separate drawings per second with a runtime of like two hours it's just nuts dude the colors and everything yeah dude and you can see that like i i I point this uh one bit out all the time from that movie when the guy falls off the motorcycle and he's sort of rolling in the street Mm. And that they do it in, in, in slow, motion. slow motion, yeah. And it's like Ugh. holy fuck! And just literally seeing that character roll, so you're essentially seeing all sides of him, and every side makes sense, and every side fits that perspective perfectly. And then the fabric movement and the movement of his coat mm. and all that stuff—it's intense, man. It's super cool. so good. Dude. There's so much understanding, so much, so much that you need to know to to pull something off like that. Um, yeah, dude. That, that's why you don't see shots like that very often because in 2D, I guess, in particular, because it's so labor-intensive, time-intensive, but then there's so much going on there. There's so much to unpack. That's really... Uh, it's unaccessible most of the time, the ability to do a shot like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mind-blowing. You know the deal. It is that time to thank the men and women that continuously support the show, especially in the time that we're in right now. Um, It's going to be an interesting thing to see what happens when we're all allowed to leave our homes and go back to work. Let's see what the world has made for us today, shall we? (laughs) Anyway. I want to thank these folks uh, that support the show, that love the show, and that continuously help us out. Um, And I also want to say that there are a lot of new sponsors on the horizon, new people that are still looking to help us out on the show because they have noticed how quickly the show has increased in fan base, especially now where everybody's sitting at home and looking for content. You guys telling your friends, telling people that you listen to this show, subscribing to the show, and literally clicking on all the links underneath because they're traceable links, and they know when my listeners have clicked through. It's important to do that. Um, but thanks to all of you guys, it has been helping us help. It makes this show bigger, 
better, the guests better, and allows us to do multiple episodes a week. And it's not reaching into my personal pocket in order to host this fucking shit. So let's get to it. First up, my good buddies over at Puget Systems. I actually got to hang out with these guys because they came into town right before the bug hit. Uh, and we just shot some really cool stuff because they have some really cool new product stuff coming out. Uh, brand new stuff that's coming out on the market very soon. Initially, I think they were going to be releasing it at NAB, but like everything else, NAB went to shit because no one wants to get sick. Like who wants to stand around and cough and look at gear? I don't. So uh, I think they're going to be releasing it very soon, um, but I'm not going to tell you specifically what it is. The only way you're going to find out, be one of the first to find out, is to go to their website. If you go to PugetSystems.com, there, if you're, well, let me start this read for real. If you're an independent filmmaker, if you're a photographer, if you're a music producer, hell, if you're just somebody that needs to play a game on their computer or needs to do something on their machine and they get that fucking pinwheel of death, right? You get that goddamn color wheel. <sighs> I hate that shit. So you now need to get a new machine. And there is so much anxiety involved with that because if you go to the big boys sites and you look at their price tier of their three different machines, it's like, Jesus Christ, I need to take out a fucking loan to have these things. And Will they still be useful by the time I pay them off? That's a big part of it. It's like these things get so fucking expensive that by the time you finally pay them off and then you potentially get to start making money on it because you're supposed to make money on these tools, uh, they become outdated. Next thing you know, they're tossed in the ocean and they become part of that floating fucking island, right? So... If you're looking for a new machine, here's the thing. You don't have to go that route. You can actually build a PC. And I know a lot of you are like, PC, why the fuck would I build a PC? Listen, this is in the early 2000s, everybody. You can be a professional on a PC. The same programs run on a PC as they do on a Mac. It's all the fucking same. And I know a lot of you at home are like, well, I don't know how to use a PC. Do you know how to turn it on? Do you know how to push a fucking button? Do you know how to search through folders? Do you know how to click on an icon? It's all the fucking same. It literally is. It's all the fucking same. The thing I like about PCs more than I like about Macs is that PCs don't hide shit from you. The way that Macs or Apples work, the reason why they stay so consistently easy to use is because they restrict you. They make sure that you can't put your fingers into something that's going to fuck it up. So they hide folders on you. And for those of you who use Premiere, those of you who use these edit programs that like backup stuff, you know, like backup history or safety backups. And you're like, what fucking folder is this in? Why can't I see this fucking folder? Oh, I have to show all these hidden files. You don't have to do that on a PC. That's what I love about PCs. PCs for me are like these really great tools that I can hack and that I can install all these different programs on. If you can't figure something out, someone's made a program online for free and you can download it and you can install it. It's great. PCs figured out. Like the programmers for PCs or, or the third-party software makers for PCs figured out a way to get you to not only read a Mac formatted drive, but to also write to a Mac formatted drive. So they figured that shit out before Mac did. Mac doesn't want you to do that. PCs do. So that's part of why I love it. 
So anything I want to use, I can, I can really wrestle this tool into doing what I want. But the question ultimately was and isn't anymore, actually, am I a professional if I'm not using a tower? Am I a professional if I'm not on a MacBook Pro? The answer is yes. Adobe Creative Suite, all of Adobe's products works on both. Uh, and because you can customize a PC specifically for a program, I would dare say it runs faster on a PC. So I know a lot of you are thinking, look, I don't have the skills to build a PC. I don't have the time to build a PC. I get it. Neither do I these days. So what I did is I found this company, Puget Systems, PugetSystems.com. There you can go. You can choose a baseline package based upon the program or software that you're going to use. Then they'll offer up a baseline package and they want to communicate with you. So you can talk to them and say, hey, look, here's how much money I have. This is what I need. I need to build this very specific thing within my budget to do what the fuck I want it to do. I don't want it to tell me what to do. I want to tell it what to do, right? And they're going to help you do that. Even if you're someone that's building your own PCs, the thing that's so great about Puget Systems is that they test everything. They benchmark test everything. So all these new pieces of hardware that come out on the market, you're like, okay, so I'll get the newest graphics card and it'll make my shit run faster. That's not necessarily true. These guys will put it through the paces and they post all their findings on their website. These guys are fucking really cool dudes. Not to mention the fact that they support the show. Not to mention the fact that they love making films. These guys are great, great collaborators. So go to PugetSystems.com, support them, click the link below, right? Click the link below so that they know I sent you, and we're good. All right, next up, the guys from Quasar Science. Uh, one of the best advancements in filmmaking hasn't been cameras lately. It's lighting. We all know it. LED lighting has changed the face of cinema, changed the face of TV, because they are they draw less power. They have the ability to do multiple colors, colors of, of the rainbow with certain restrictions. Go to prior episodes and you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, but they are lighter, they draw less power, and they're great. I love using uh, Quasar's tubes. I just used tubes yesterday while shooting inserts of knives. And the thing I love about them is that the lights themselves never get hot. The heat is contained. I can literally hold a tube and move a tube lightly over an object and light it in real time. I fucking love that. Not to mention that you can daisy chain these things together. You can run programs through them. LED lighting is so amazing these days. I'm not going to get super nerdy on it because there's been plenty of episodes about this. Go back through our history and we actually sit down with Tim from Quasar. We sit down with Ted from Aperture. We sit down with some of the leaders in the LED business and we talk about this stuff. But in the meantime, click the link below and go check out Quasar Sciences website. If you are looking for a new package, these guys have stuff that you need to have, need to own. So go and check them out. Next up, Industry Jump. We have a good deal with these guys. We've been collaborating. We've been sharing each other's content. If you are looking for an online film community, if you want to be mentored by real professionals that work in this industry, if you've got a job, if you're looking for a crew, I highly suggest you go to industryjump.com. You're also on Instagram at industryjump. Um, if you're not getting what you need from me, if you're looking for some more nerdy shit, go check them out at Industry Jump. So, love those guys. So happy to be working with them. 
so yeah, and I'm going to plug the website. Go to in, inlovewiththeprocess.com. There you can choose episodes that I have specifically uh, curated for you. So you can go through and choose episodes based upon director. You can choose episodes based upon artist, musician, uh, soon-to-be chef, all that kind of stuff. And it's a great place while you're listening to the episode to look at the material that we've curated about the artist. So like if you want to see animated clips from today's artist, you'll see it there. If you want to see short films from other artists like Rick Dars that we found on our show, I usually put all of those on our website. So it's a great supplement to listening to the show. So you could be listening to it uh, on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, or you can actually listen to it because I have embedded on the website the SoundCloud clips. You can actually just listen to it on the website if you want while checking out this stuff. Not bad, right? Look at all this fucking work we do for you. And speaking of that, if you want to help us out, if you want to donate to the show, already talked about it at the head of the show, doing the Audible trial, highly suggest you do that. Um, we also have some Capital One deals, so Capital One credit card deals that you'll find uh, at In Love With The Process backslash sponsors. So if you go to our website, you go to the sponsors tab, there you'll find a couple great deals from Capital One. I've talked about those in prior episodes before as well. And you can specifically just donate to us. I know it's a time where people don't have cash. I'm not asking you to do so. But if it's in your heart, if you feel like you want to do it, if you feel like you want to be involved, do so. But more than anything else, if you want to help the show, comment on it. Rate the show. What are you listening to right now? Like what? Where did you find the show? Is it on Apple Podcasts? Is it on Spotify? Go through it. Spend the second while listening. Rate the fucking show. Leave us a comment. Get us higher on the algorithms, everybody. And rip any of my graphics. You can write to me. If you want to repost on the show and you're like, Mike, I'd like to get that video clip that you're doing, write to me. We'll send it to you. Post about the show. Tell your friends that are all sitting around bored off their fucking asses right now to listen to us. I will love you for it. I will notice that you do it. You might get a little reward for it. So reach out. If you want to become one of the elite that push the show, one of the big fans, if you want to be somebody that wants to advertise for us, reach out. Reach out to me on Instagram at Mike Petchy and say, hey, look, I want to advertise for the show. I want to help get more listeners to the show. And I will reward you with something. Guaranteed. All right. That's it. Blabbing away. That's what makes these shows so long. (laughs) All right. Let's get back into it. So, all right, so back to you. So back into what you're doing there. How often are you putting out pieces? Like how many pieces a year do you put out? Oh, man, I think uh, uh, probably 30 or 40 uh, pieces. It's it's one a week for sure. Um, but not all of them are like the, the highest end that I could produce. Some of them are pretty quick, simple things. Um, mm-hmm. uh, 
I'd say like super, super high end, like stuff I'm like really stoked about doing that. That's like at a, at a professional, like a, a, I guess a studio quality would be maybe like 15 to 20 pieces a year once, maybe a little more than once a month. Mm -hmm. But yeah, constantly having to deliver things, um, stuff that goes on our Instagram accounts and, um, and then the, the higher quality stuff that I have time to spend more time on, uh, goes on air as well. But, um, and what's the process? Do you have to, do you do like a like a quick little like a concept and then storyboard it out, or do they do they let you do whatever the fuck you want? Like, how does it work over there? I mean, it kind of developed over time, I guess, as I kind of like built up trust with with the departments and the people I work with. Mm-hmm. So I think that like the the pipeline that I now have is like pretty pretty strange. And I think when I talk to other animators and artists about it, they're like, "What?" You know, because <laughs> um, I think at the rate that we have to produce things. Um, it kind of can't, it can't be more of like a standardized pipeline where you have the time to, to, um, essentially check in with, with your art directors every step of the way, Mm -hmm. um, and make, make changes and stuff. So I I think that at the beginning, it definitely was like that as they were kind of like, I don't know, like sussing me out and seeing like what I was capable of doing. Um, but now, now it's so fluid. Uh, that yeah, it's kind of like I just kind of do my own thing, and I'll we have like these pitch meetings where we talk about ideas that we want to make that everyone wants to make, and then you know as long as like the the, the concept is clear, um, they trust me of what type of execution, what kind of style um, I, I plan on doing for that. They 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 trust me on that, and and I I check in a few times with like you know some some roughs or some um, style frames, mm-hmm. but sometimes sometimes it's just purely like hey, I'm doing you know. I'm doing this animation of a, uh, of a guy cleaning his ears and the Q-tip is going to go through his ear canal. It's going to touch his brain <laughs> and he's going to like <laughs> massage his brain. And they're just like, fuck it. Sure. Do it. <laughs> and then I give him the finished product. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of, I don't know. I guess that's pretty rare in the industry. I'd say I, be, I work, I do a lot of freelance work too for different studios and, um, companies and, and sh- sometimes I work on shows and pilots for adult swim and, those are much more standardized. Like, you know, you've got, and you've got people doing each separate part of the process. Like, so you have like, you know, you have the concept artists, the character designers, the, the storyboard artists, the, yeah, yeah. the, the lead animators, key animators and the in-betweeners and everything. Um, so that's, you know, much more like what you would, con- what you'd think of when you think of like a, of a standard, like classic pipeline for animation. But that's why, you know, Adult Swim's so cool because, you know, sometimes it's like these big long projects that, multiple people are working on. And then sometimes it's just these quick little things that um, even if I'm spending a lot of time on it, doesn't there, there's not too much micromanaging because mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a sm- like there's, there's, it's a small team, you know, there's, there's not as many people that work there as you think. And um, everyone that works there works really hard. They're really, they're really good. They're really talented. They're, they're super creative and they trust each other. And that's, I think the biggest thing is like um, not getting in the way of anyone but but also you know checking in making sure everything's like making sure you're not going to blow anything up is no is the is the job still fun for you then are you still having a good time doing it or yeah absolutely there's like you know there's every everything has its ups and downs and i think sometimes the um you know i work a lot alone i, I work by myself most of the time mm-hmm. um and that has its own challenges you know sometimes you need and i think that's why i venture out into taking on freelance projects to sort of stimulate that the more collaborative aspects of being a creator. Yeah. And that's super important is to not, you know, get like become a hermit 
and, <laughs> and then you become just super like inbred in your in your taste in your in what you produce um and you never get to bounce things off people but no i love working i love working at adult swim and i love the fast-paced nature um of things and how you just make you make mistakes so much faster and you learn from those mistakes and that's how you grow and so getting to getting to work with so many different shows and styles and being encouraged to like push things and do crazy things. Um, that's, what's great. So I, I, I kind of treat every piece that I do as like an exercise and a learning experience of like trying, trying to learn some new style or develop a style or learn a, a certain movement, learn a certain shot, do mm. something I've never done before. Mm. So it's very, it's very experimental and that's, it's, and everyone that works there is super supportive of that. And they don't, you don't get punished for, <laughs> making mistakes um <laughs> they just kind of help you help you learn from it and everything and um yeah it's a great place dude that's great and that kind of leads into what what i was going to ask next which is so if you're starting something so like if you are coming up with one of these ideas um mm-hmm. is it do you where do you go to for inspiration is it is it is it as simple as being like look i've always wanted to do this specific kind of movement so i'm going to create something around that specific movement or do you do you uh are you having to like dive deep back into animation and watch a bunch of films or read some comic books like where do you pull your stuff from i think it's definitely both those things man I, um there's always things floating around when i'm just like kind of browsing the internet i i kind of set parts of the day aside to just look at things um, as I I think most creators do and um, just, you know, kind of let myself be inspired. And I, you know, what you make is totally just a sum of like what influences you, like what your taste is. And so I try to make sure that, you know, I have some sort of like trajectory towards what my taste is, but I don't want to be too limiting of that or else it'll become, yeah. it'll just, you know, it'll just be Akira. Right. Right. So, you know, um, there's definitely times where I'm like, Hey, you know, um, I just want to animate someone like falling out of like a building or something. Mm-hmm. And so I, then I kind of like try to build <laughs> an idea that works inside the, inside the constraints that adult swim has stylistically or tone wise. And I kind of fit it into what, what I, you know, I just build a narrative around that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, sometimes it's like, Oh, well, sometimes it's more style based where I, I, I've been looking at a lot of, um, you know, uh, sci-fi illustrations from the seventies or something, or like, you know, um, you know, children's school uh, lunch boxes from like the forties or whatever, you know, <laughs> whatever kind of like style that's interesting me at the time or, or something that I could like kind of pull from, then that that's kind of where it stems from. That's cool. um, so it's just kind of like a creative playground of like, I try never to do the same thing twice when I'm working there because there's, there's just too many other things to experiment with. And, um, you know, whenever I feel myself kind of like, getting locked into something um in particular that's what i kind of like you know i'm like oh shit i kind of freak out i'm like oh no you know i need to like restart and and reassess what's going on and i guess that's a challenge in itself because having to like feel like you have to reinvent the wheel each time but if you allow yourself to to just you know absorb all these other you know like absorb everything not just animation you know i try to look at everything you know obviously film Mm -hmm. music and um photography uh food, whatever, you know, um, just try to let all that culminate into something creative and try to make something new each time. 
I do. I do the same thing, obviously, when I'm uh, doing film work or music videos or any of that stuff. I I've talked about it on the show prior, um, but I have like inspiration folders where I'm just literally dumping content that I find. Yeah, I think it's really I do the same thing. Yeah, and then you just sort just of pulling images it. off. Yeah, um, it, it, for me, it's really nice because it helps me. Like if if I get a call for to do a music video or something, and the ideas are really fast you know it's like you have to you have to come up with an idea you have to come up with a treatment oftentimes i'll just open up my inspiration folders and just start going through them and looking very similar to what you were saying looking for some sort of technique or looking for something that has always made me curious and it may be a photo that i save where i'm like i really enjoy the lighting for this or i like the way that they've Mm. blocked the actors for this or i really like the combination of the wardrobe from this and then the colors from this and then this thing from that i think that would be a cool Per box to sort of play in and I always have to set parameters because if I don't have restrictions if I don't have my parameters then it just seems like coming up with a new idea is just such a daunting fucking task and then trying to pull that off without parameters it's like Jesus Christ like yeah. what, what are the rules you know what I mean because it's impossible dude you can't you can't pull that shit out of the ether <laughs> like completely you know it's like you got to look at stuff. You got to look at like professional things to be able to make something professional. And then you got to, you know, you got to be inspired and you got to look at stuff that sort of like stirs something in you. And then you, yeah, it's like you pull, you pull like your favorite little elements from like a million different things and it all just gets like melded together into something new. Mm -hmm. And that's like, yeah, totally. I do the same thing, man. When I'm like coming up with something or developing a style or, trying to come up with an idea. I've got like, you know, like my folders of inspirational material or, or like, you know, I use Pinterest a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's like just, you know, if you find some like really great curated boards on there of like a particular type of thing, I'll just like, you know, I'll spend, you know, hours just doing that and, and just like building up sort of like inspirational source material that I then sort of like, I don't know, I guess systematically kind of, funnel through my own creative processes into something new yeah and yeah yeah i think because i think a lot of people would misconstrue that idea and they would say like well what are you guys just ripping off of the people and you're finding things mm. and you're just stealing yeah. from the people <laughs> and it's not necessarily that i always say especially with the film stuff like i will go and watch like an old spielberg movie and i'll examine why i feel certain ways while watching it and i'll sit there and i'll go i really like what I'm feeling here. I don't know what the fuck it is. I, I really enjoy it. So let's watch it again. And you sort of examine all of the, the language of cinema that he's using for it. The music, the yeah. sound, yeah. the pacing, the blocking, the, the way he's cutting it. And then understand that language. Understand that language for that specific thing. And then store that language away. So when I want to tell something, when I want to tell a story and I want to use that language, not necessarily his shots or his stuff. I just want to use the language that he was using at that time period and then tell my story with that language. I think that's the trick. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely, man. Yeah, you don't want to like, you don't want to rip off or just directly imitate something. But yeah, you you pick and choose things that like inspire you about someone else's work and that that influences you as a creator. Like if it's shots from a certain director or if it's like line quality in the way someone like lights a shot mm-hmm. uh, for, or for me, it's like, you know, the stylization of like the way a character's drawn, you know, it's um, something I think a lot of people learn um, naturally 
the, the new breed of like illustrators who, who like kind of just learn from the internet is that they like, they have like all these different artists that they admire that draw hands or whatever it is like completely differently. Mm-hmm. And they find like little tiny elements that they like about it and they just combine them in new different ways, just kind of like a puzzle almost. And then it ultimately creates something new. Yeah. If you, you know, like that's what happens if you like, if you're too close to a certain source material for too long, then your stuff just starts to look like that. Then it's just, you know, kind of a knockoff of that. And that's definitely not what you want. Yeah. But, um, it's fascinating when you think about it, it's, it's wild that essentially what you're getting from an artist is that artist is, is responding to material in one way or another. So like they watch something and they go, fuck, that's cool. Or that fucking detail is really awesome. And then when you start to really examine an artist's style or an artist's voice, mm-hmm. you're actually looking at sort of the filter, the culmination of what they've been through, their life experiences, whatever it was that got them to a place that they responded to that thing. It's 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 exactly, man. it's yeah. fucking fascinating when you think about it like that. Because then because we deal with this in my business a lot more, I think, than they would in the animation business. Because in my business, you have a lot of different people saying, well, it's the camera that makes it. It's this, it's the tools, it's all that kind of stuff. And then the competition uh, in filmmaking and photography right now is just so ridiculous. And, and you know, the lack of budgets and the lack of money has got people sort of fighting. And, and people start to define themselves by the tools, by all that sort of stuff. When at the end of the day, at the thing that makes us the most valuable is the fact that we're taking stuff and we're responding to it based upon our fucking life experience. Yeah, man. You know? Yeah. The personal element. Yeah. Yeah. And and when you say like personal element, that's like a statement like if if, if a younger filmmaker was like, well, what is that? Is it a personal element? Well, what exactly is that personal element? It's living your life. It's uh, examining how you came up. It's examining the things that helped shape you in your life. It's celebrating the things that, yeah. that shaped you yeah. in your life. And then and then understanding that that joy and that uh, love that you have for those things is a joy and love that other people would love to experience and be fascinated by. So For sure, man. Definitely. Definitely. Hit the nail on the head on that one. Because that, yeah, absolutely. It's like you got to... You, you eventually, even if you try to fight it, you you start kind of pushing yourself into into whatever you're creating mm-hmm. subconsciously, and it just kind of melds in with everything else. And that's when you get something like truly special uh, once you hit it, hit it on that because it's like it's all it's your taste, it's your skill, it's all your influences, and then it's mixed in with through the lens of like your own life and the things that you've experienced. Um, and that's definitely like that's definitely when you get something truly unique, and that's when like something original is is like created, and it's created out of all these other things too. But um, that's when it hits that special special point, in my opinion. So understanding all this, then you must have had a really amazing experience with a cat's butthole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I've got. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say so. I I mean that is a good example of like you know my fucking life experiences i've got two cats um and uh you know they're always fucking doing that shit they want to put their butthole in your face they want to show it off so that i guess maybe that was happening a lot to me at the time and so i decided to make 
do, you know, do a piece based on that kind of like get, get all of that energy out into the world. <laughs> Visualize it for people, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, joking aside, you know, specifically about that piece, it's obvious that you did experience those things because it, it, it feels natural as, as unnatural as it is, <laughs> as unnatural yeah. as it is, it, it definitely has these natural elements to it where we've all seen either videos of cats doing similar shit or cats doing that stuff. I mean, cats are, they're little pricks. I mean, ultimately. Oh yeah. So it's, it's, it's fun to see it represented in animation. And the thing that I love about animation is that you can get away with so much shit as long as it's animated. Like, I love that. I think Bill Burr said it about his show where he was like, um, uh, F is for family. And he was just like, yeah, I couldn't do half the shit that we do on our show if it was with real people. But if because yeah, you it's get to, animated, you could do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, you get to exaggerate everything and and really like kind of break it down and frame it however you want. You get to break the laws of physics much easier, I, I suppose, than you know, in live action or or whatever. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, dude, it's just fun to play around with. And your other your only limitation is as a two D animator is like what you can draw. Mm-hmm. So like whatever you're able to draw, you're able to theoretically animate once you kind of understand, um, once you apply like the principles of animation and you under, you kind of are, you know, you got to observe life if you want to, um, if you want to sort of characterize life, um, and, uh, sort of what, you know, if you understand the real world and the physics behind things of how they move and like the intentions of, of people and why they move a certain way or whatever, then you can keep like breaking it down and breaking it down and, and abstracting it and, and, and and stuff like that and stylizing it. And, and you can get away with so much with putting kind of so little almost into it. And, um, Mm. I think that's what definitely what, you know, the, I I mean, I, I love drawing, so that's why, you know, animation 2d animation is so interesting to me. Um, cause that's like what I grew up with in my most impressionable time is was all 2d animation and 3d was just cut. Well, was becoming more commercially viable, Yeah, but, uh, drawing is just engraved in my mind as, you know, two, or I mean, two animation is engraved just in my brain as drawing, but really it's all about, I'm obsessed with kind of like uh, breathing life into something just as all animators are, whether it's like, you know, stop motion, claymation, uh, CG mm-hmm. or 2d or whatever, you know, it's like you like you're turning something flat, into seemingly something that's like that's breathing and living and is making decisions, whether it's like a cat's butthole or <laughs> a cyborg or whatever, a snowman, mm-hmm. you know, you get into like kind of create a character and you get into, you get to be like a director and an actor in that sense, which is like super special because, yeah. um, yeah. you know, all the, all the classic animators from the golden age of like Disney, like Milt Call, um, he, he animated a uh, Shere Khan, but they all referred to like, the characters as almost as like actors and they, they got to be that character. They got to act out that character. So they were putting on this performance and, and that's really what I think can become obsessive for someone who's like, who becomes an animator is like getting to like kind of breathe life into something and watching it move. Cause it's a magical thing when you like, if you know how to draw something and then if you can animate it, it's like, Holy shit. You know, that's what, that's that kind of like fascination that you experience as a consumer when you really see like great animation. You're like, oh my God. Yeah. And then on the creation side of it, when when you experience 
experience it's like a high you know it's like something that you're constantly chasing after totally um, dude totally totally i mean i get it from, from directing i mean the, the big difference is is that i have like you know 30 40 other people that i have to fucking to, to get right, into the right. position to do it I, sometimes i envy the fact that you can be so specific and be the actor in that same i don't envy the amount of meticulous work that it requires to do but sure yeah. but i do envy oftentimes where you can be incredibly specific about body motion and body language and then you can break the laws of physics in order to suit the tone which i think is really fucking cool too it's one of the things i've always loved about animation is that it's like fuck gravity then throw it out the window or i want yeah, to get, like i can't put a camera here fuck it i'm gonna just draw it i'll use the shit you know like I, I love that i love that about yeah that's what that's what draws me to it and that's what also makes me love film like traditional film you know like live action film because it, it has these different limitations but then it has these elements to it that are limitless that some mm. some stuff can't be pulled off with animation that that can be done in 2d because or i mean in, in live action um mm. that's something you know it's something i'm super unfamiliar with i'm, I'm I, I think that if i were to ever try to, to you know to shoot film you know like in that set like what you do and everything i'd be you know so flustered because I, I as an animator you usually have so much control over something you know <laughs> yeah. you can spend as much time you know you know, obviously you know you don't have to go get a physical location you don't have physical actors uh the lighting doesn't matter you can be working on a shot in the morning even though your shot that you're animating takes place at night all these different things oh, that sure. you don't have restrictions sure. you don't on, have you know, to buy so. your pencil coffee in order for it to continue to do its job. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, definitely there's productions you work with other artists and animators and you're, you're working as a team and stuff, but it's totally like totally different. Yeah. Um, in that sense of like, yeah. Dude, it's super cool, man. It's super cool. Um, so who does, so do you do the sound design? Who does the sound design for your pieces? I do. I do a lot of it. Um, but most, I mean, like all the music and stuff, that's that's like we get that from our, our library of music that, that we've licensed through. Like some of it's through like, you know, actual record labels, mm -hmm. like, uh, like Brain Feeder. Um, and I'm trying to think of some other ones like um, Warp, Warp Records. Um, a lot of like um, Flying Lotus and, and Run the Jewels. We have like that music license. Um, but then, and then some of it's, you know, just like our music libraries that we pay for, um, just like web services that have like stock music and stuff. Sure. Sure. Um, sure. but then we, we also have, you know, like a lot of tools for like sound effects and everything, but, um, I don't know. I, I guess when, I mean, I really care about the sound of something, um, cause it's so important. I mean, anyone who, totally. you, you know, you, of course, I'm sure 50%, you know that, man. With, it's 50%. Yeah. Dude, sometimes more, man. If you think, talk about like uh horror or something yeah. that's like such a big part of it but um yeah totally, totally, I, I totally. care I, yeah sure. i care almost more about the sound than i do the visual um because it just makes it for me um the sound if something is convincing sound wise then it just it just adds this extra element to things and i've always kind of i've always experimented with making my own sound effects and making music and mm -hmm. editing the sound and stuff um, when I was making stupid cartoons and posting them online when I was like really young, um, I had to do that myself. I didn't have anyone to like, I, get, I don't know, help me or teach me how to do it. Mm -hmm. um, 
so I, I do like having the control and being able to kind of design it, but um, we got a lot of talented people working at Adult Swim and, and talented freelancers that can help us with that stuff too. And so I, I'll always obviously leave it to, to those that really know what they're doing um, to get the job done. But um, I do enjoy just kind of, it's almost like a, a little hobby I have of like kind of experimenting with the sound of something. Dude, totally. I do the same thing because when I cut... When I cut films or I cut my films, because I do mostly, I do a lot of horror stuff. And like he was saying, it is, you know, to cut a horror scene without sound effects is the most boring fucking thing in the world. It's, <laughs> I'm sure, uh, yeah. It's, it's literally people walking down a hallway with scared looks on their faces. And you're just like, how, <laughs> how long is this scene? How long is this shot on? I have no fucking idea. The reason you're, you're basing all that on sound and sound. I learned this when I did, I did a short years ago. I did a short. Uh, with one of the suicide girls and it was it was uh this bloody short thing and i only had one location i had this cabin and and she essentially busts into the door of the cabin and she's covered in blood she shuts the door and then she has to go through the process of cleaning herself and it was this whole thing but um i wanted to make it bigger and i didn't have the budget to make it bigger than that and in my head on paper i was like she encounters uh a uh, a henchman outside and the henchman's got two dogs and she murders the dogs and she murders the henchman and then she goes into the cabin. Um, I was able to tell that whole story with sound straight up on, a, amazing, on a black screen, just sound design, the whole fight, sound design, the struggle, sound design, the whole thing. And then come up with her opening the door and coming into the cabin. So the audience is li- literally looking at this woman covered in blood and now they're going, that's dog's blood. First off, yeah, you, you know, yeah. and that's all these different things, and we've told that story with just sound effects. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's I like fucking love it, dude. And inside that, inside the constraints that you had, you were able to pull it off um, creatively, you know. And yeah, dude, sound is like sound is so important. It's you know. it's be- I mean, it, it, I always go back to radio days and like back to like war of the world's broadcast like all that stuff you were able to captivate audiences with just sound and sound effects for sure dude yeah um and i think that cinema and animation too it's i think the power that it has is that it uses all these different magic tricks right so you're using uh the fact that uh, you're you're capturing light and you're photographing light and you're creating images and then you're you're going from cutting a wide shot to a close up and what does that mean and then you're adding in all of the developments of radio and sound and music and music design and all those different elements into it and then you're adding in animation and you're adding in whether it's just simple 2D logo animation or if you're adding in a full animated sequence or a 3D animated sequence and compositing it's Cinema is sort of the culmination of all sorts of really fun magic tricks that yeah. uh, that people are able to pull together around, you know, the main purpose being that there's some sort of story, there's a script, there's some sort of theme, there's a narrative that that needs to be told. But I even go further beyond that. I'm, I'm not one of these people that is obsessed with just good story all the time. I really love great technique and I love great tone. And I think with... Yeah, a lot of animation stuff. Uh, you guys get away with it a lot more than we do on 
the film side of things because when people sit down to watch television or people sit down to watch a movie, they're like, what's the fucking story and what are the beats? And you have to fit these beats. And one of the things I've always loved about animated short series or animated bits is that oftentimes it's less about what is the what is the overall story and what are the beats, but it's more about like the moment and what are the physical actions yeah. that someone goes through in this moment and how fascinating that is to the animator and then hopefully how fascinating that is to the audience, you know? Definitely, man. Definitely. That, that's, that's something that like, that honestly, I think that interests me at, at this stage of my life more so even than the storytelling aspects mm-hmm. of things. Cause I love the art form so much and I enjoy it. And I enjoy working in it that, um, the feeling of something and the the tone of something and the atmosphere and the movement takes precedence for me more than like the context. Mm-hmm. And um, I've always kind of treated my work, my personal work as like little fragments that could exist in film <laughs> that have no context. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you see it and you might feel like, Oh, you know that I could see that being, you know, in some like larger thing, but it's like a snapshot of, of, of a particular sequence of a particular shot. And that, I mean, that's like, to me, that's the easiest way to learn quickly is to just jump into these things really fast without being bogged down by the overhead of like a long production yeah. where you have to stay consistent inside something. You can keep breaking the rules endlessly if you keep like switching it up. But yeah, dude, I mean the being able to tell stories is like the most important thing overall. And, uh, Right now, I'm kind of trying to. I'm I'm still in the process of building the 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 tools of which to tell stories, and and I guess now I'm in that transitional period of like, um, okay, I've done all of these like experiments, um, I've learned a lot of things, and now I'm ready to take what I've learned and apply it towards something larger. So now I'm I am kind of like looking forward more towards like um, building a universe, building a world, telling telling a story. Cool. Um, are you are you writing anything? Are you are you concepting anything out? Yeah, well, right now I'm like um, I'm kind of working on this short film that's also a music video. Mm-hmm. I've had this idea for a film, uh, animated film, for a while, and uh, working. I've been working pre production on it, like character designing and background designing for like a long time, and I just never really had like the right direction, I guess, for it. Mm-hmm. And then um, I recently linked up with uh, this musician, this. Um, music artist uh his name's lauren i don't know if you're familiar yeah. with his work yeah 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 he's dude he's great he's like my biggest inspiration as an artist and i'm a visual artist so it's his sound has such a profound impact on what i do so cool but um been able to work with him recently and we're kind of i'm kind of like angling this idea i've had towards uh something that he wants to do too and um putting his sound to it has, has helped like breathe life into it um, and so this is, you know, it's something I can't take my eyes off right now. It's like, I'm, I'm super stoked about it. And that's, and that's what I've kind of been working on. So it's kind of like, you know, a, a looser, looser narrative. Um, so I'm, I guess I'm in between the phase of like, just caring about the visuals. Um, there's, there's, there's some, some story to it, but it's not, you know, like a traditional short film. There's a little, it's a little open-ended, but, um, I think that's what I need right now is to, to, to go on that next sort of sequential step as a, as a storyteller. Dude, um, it's cool. Especially since I love sound so much, it's, it's so much fun to get to work with, with another brilliant artists, like, you know, ideas and everything. And yeah. when I listen to his music, it's like so evocative and I just immediately pictures come to mind. So it's, it's, 
it's quite fun to kind of like rain, rain all those things in and kind of focus it into something. Um, but yeah, man. And I mean, dude, it, it sounds awesome. Yeah. It sounds fucking really cool, man. And it sounds like all the Thank right you. elements are coming into play for you. And it sounds like you're in the right position emotionally to do something like that, which is it's exciting, cool. dude. Yeah. 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 I think every, you know, every, every filmmaker, every animator eventually needs to do some sort of short film, you know, obviously, uh, 2D animation, it's like, like we're talking about, it's so labor intensive that it's, I think it's easy to kind of like get bogged down on, on, um, really short things, Mm -hmm. um, because it's, you know, it's more accessible, um, and you can learn a lot of things fast and, you know, all the commercial work that you can do some commercial work I've done, you know, it's, they're really short spots. They're like 15, 20, 30 seconds. Um, but you know, there comes a time where it's like, you know, it's, you have the, I don't know. I, I personally have this desire now to, to, to put everything I've been working on into one big, like cohesive piece. Um, and, and so many of like the, the animators that I'm friends with or the animators I've worked with have kind of like, it seems like it's kind of like the natural life cycle is that, um, you kind of jump into these things eventually. And cause I always thought, Oh, you know, like, I don't really give a shit about, uh, telling a super serious story or telling a story of any kind. I'm like, I just care about the visuals, man. I just want to draw and, you know, do all this stuff. And now it's, it's evolving, I guess, naturally into something, something else. And, um, it's obviously always fun to do short little experiments, but it's fun to have also like a, a big project that you can throw all of these things at and, and have something that stands the test of time, hopefully for a while. Hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing it when you do it. Sounds like it's going to be fucking rad, man. Thanks, man. Thank you. Sounds like yeah. it's going to be really cool, dude. Um, let's see where we're at. Oh, we're doing pretty good. We're about an hour in. Um, so I would just say, um, I think I think we're hitting a good point, actually, to wrap this one up. Like, what? I, I, I always turn to my guests at this point, and, and I ask them for advice for 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 younger folks because i a lot of younger people listening to the show a lot of young creatives look at listening to the show and i think if you're listening to the show you're looking for um some sort of reprieve from the anxiety (laughs) that uh that you take on when you decide that you want to create now did you were you doing uh freelance stuff before you ended up working over at adult swim i was yeah i um did a couple jobs when I was in college. Um, I didn't go to school for animation or anything, but I was always like putting my work out there, mm-hmm. trying to get noticed and everything. And um, yeah, I did a lot of freelance work before Adult Swim. Um, I worked on a couple shows, um, did some poster designs for companies, did some ads, worked with other teams, and then um, I got an internship at Adult Swim. Uh, and that's kind of how it's that's kind of how my relationship I think with, with them started is uh, I came in and worked in the summers with them. And then that turned into like, um, a contract to, to work with them for a certain period of time while I was also working on other things for other studios. And then, um, it just happened to work out where there's, you know, like a position open when I was looking for something more, um, consistent, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I was definitely, and still am interested in like, you know, like a, a staff job. It's nice to have, you know, like to know, <laughs> to know where your money's coming from and everything. <laughs> Not have to worry about that on the day to day, but, um, that's kind of, yeah, that's how it sort of developed. Um, and you know, the past few years I've been growing with them and, and learning so many things. 
Um, it sounds like you. Yeah. It sounds like you found like the best case scenario, man, because you you're essentially in a staff position at a very experimental branch of a larger, like you said, working for the phone company at a larger conglomerate. <laughs> you know, you're in the most experimental branch for that to a point where you know viewers in the audience understand how experimental Adult Swim is. Uh, like they, Adult Swim is now. It reminds me of uh, like liquid television when uh, yeah. TV was doing that. Like it's like full time liquid television, like all the time, like uh, really experimental, very ballsy. And like like Rick and Morty is like fucking a. Not only is that show amazingly yeah. written, but fuck the animation on that show is just so funny, like consistently yeah, funny. Yeah, um, it's good stuff. Yeah, the studio that does that, Starburns. Um, they're in LA. They're, they're fantastic. Everyone that works on that show is great. And it's been, it's fun to see it evolve too. I mean, Rick and Morty's kind of like adult swims first big hit. I mean, adult swim started with like, just sort of like buying the rights to show mm-hmm. episodes of family guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, Rick and Morty is like that first big, big mainstream hit that we've had. That's like originally from us. Um, but it's so exciting to see it contain like to keep its sort of like oddball niche roots to it but then seeing that like oh there's a lot of people that like can appreciate this and seeing it evolve over time and more and more artists are getting to work on it more freelancers are getting to do you know like the newest season season four like there's some crazy set pieces that (laughs) you know like adults when reached out to a couple animators who've worked on like you know anime in the past uh to, to to work on some of this stuff and it's just exciting to see it evolve over time and and all the other shows that adult swim does too it's just you know it's really great stuff yeah it's a cool place really good group of people dude very very lucky to have that that gig man that's a great gig i know man it, it's uh, i think about that all the time and it, it's so much of like the industry is luck and who you know and everything and you know i definitely work hard to to get better um and to be where i am but yeah, I mean, it's the right place at the right time for sure. And I, I try not to take that for granted coming into work every day. It's, it's a special place. And, um, you know, as, as everyone knows, the industry, regardless of what it is, like film, um, 2D animation, CG, whatever, um, it's cutthroat sometimes. And it's scary out there to, like, try to figure out, oh, how am I going to, you know, like, make a living? How, or am I going to be able to make this a reality? So, mm-hmm. You know, I have to remind myself that whenever I'm feeling down, I'm like, oh man, you know, like I want to be working on something cooler right now or whatever. It's like, you know, still get to do what I love to do every day, you know? Um, and that's the most important thing. So what would you, what sort of advice would you give one of our listeners that is, um, is trying to, okay. So a lot of people will come to me in the last, like, how do you find your style? How do you develop your style? Like, how do you, mm-hmm. where does your style come from? Do you feel like you've, you've found your style? Do you feel like you've found something that represents you? Hell no, man. Not, not <laughs> completely. I don't think so. I, I don't know. I, it's so, it, it, it's just a development over the course of, I feel like your whole life. I'm like narrowing things down, I think, but it's constantly evolving and, um, I don't know. Maybe that's the point is to like, you know, you don't ever want to do the same thing over and over again, but you do want to be known for something, I suppose, but I'm definitely still searching for it. And, um, I think a lot of art, a lot of creators can have sort of like identity crises where they Mm -hmm. 
there like oh shit you know like what what is my style or what what's my voice and everything and it's it's important to like be working towards that but you also gotta kind of enjoy the ride and experiment and relax a little bit but um i don't know i think i think some advice that was given to me as i was sort of learning things was to to, to focus a little bit less on like what you perceive your own style to be and to just explore more things and to just try not to zone in on something too quickly um and i think a lot of people that go to school for like in particular for like illustration and animation is they're they're kind of like encouraged to develop their own look which is really important but you got to understand like the business side of things is that you most of the time you're going to be working based on someone else's look mm. so um realizing that i think and being able to like take that in stride and and being flexible creatively is so much more important than at least in the beginning than having like your own unique feel to something um but yeah dude no i don't know if i'll ever find it I, i'm narrowing it down <laughs> that's all i can i guess i can say but if i found it i mean if i found it then who like if i found it now is is it really still gonna be fun then you know 30 40 years from now So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I am a huge fan of Shane and his work. Um, and I hope you guys start to follow him on Instagram. Like I said, he is Shane Daring on Instagram. It's not like he needs the plugs. Uh, my butthole cat video that I love has got 23,000 fucking views. So apparently everybody else likes his work so much. I love his stuff. Um, and I want to once again thank Liam, Liam D. O'Brien, as we were talking about this morning, Liam, uh, for kicking ass and uh, really banging out these episodes. He has been working on overtime, overdrive, to get these things done. So follow him on Instagram. I think it's Liam D. O'Brien on Instagram. Uh, and if you like the way the show sounds, give him some love. Right? Send him a kiss. Give him shit for his phone ringing on the episode. He loves that. All right? And uh, I promised at the head of the episode, we'd talk a little bit more about anime because we're all sitting around and looking for great things to watch. And why watch the trash that everybody else is watching? Um, okay, so I'm going to stay specific to my taste, my dark taste, and I'm going to skip past like Totoro and all that stuff. It's cool, I suppose, if you like giant cat buses and stuff. It's not my fucking thing. Uh, oh, okay, obviously, number one on the list. If you haven't seen it yet, you got to see it right now. Um, I think it's on Netflix. It's probably on Amazon. Watch Akira. Watch Akira. This movie will blow your fucking dick off. I swear to God. 1988 was the release time. It's 124 minutes. Um, it's amazing. There hasn't been an anime that can come close to Akira. 100%. Watch that. Okay? Um, another great one. That's kind of trashy, but the anime style is really fantastic. Came out in 1986. It's Fist of the North Star. Fist of the North Star. 
Uh, I think this might also be on Netflix and Amazon. Um, it's amazing. There's a bunch of anime streaming apps that exist, like Crunchyroll. Oh, there's another one. I've tried a few of them. Some of them have these. Some of them don't. And honestly, sometimes you can find them on YouTube, right? Um, but go check out Fist of the North Star. Super violent, hyper violent, really great anime style. Um, another one that I really love, I'm just scrolling through my list here. Some people haven't seen these. Um, Golgo 13. So it's G-O-L-G-O 13. I love this fucking movie. It's a super cool 1970s inspired uh, spy assassin anime uh, that they made a feature length version of it um, with uh, Sonny Chiba playing the lead. Sonny fucking Chiba, the man. Those of you who are movie nerds like I am, you know him from the old 1970s Street Fighters movies, not based on the video game, but the Street Fighter movies that Tarantino referenced in what movie? True Romance, right? True Romance. And Tarantino is such a fan of Sonny Chiba that he brought him back in Kill Bill, right? He was the sushi chef the Hori, what is it, Horitanzo or Horizon? I'm fucking, ter- fucking, <laughs> good one, buddy. Uh, he's the guy that built the swords. Really fucking cool. So go check out the anime, uh, GoGo13. I think you guys will really dig that. Uh, okay, another one that I recently found, right? Made in 1987 that I fucking love. Super dark. It's an anime called Wicked City. Definitely check that one out. I don't know if that... I doubt it's on Netflix. I think I was watching it on... I have a Roku, okay? So on my Roku, the thing that I love about the Roku is that you can download independent streaming channels, and there are a few uh, grindhouse streaming channels that are on there. Go through... If you have a Roku, go through the channel stuff and look up grindhouse stuff, look up horror stuff, and look up anime stuff and download some of the independent channels. And on a lot of those, you'll find these animes, these hard-to-find fucking animes, because apparently the licensing is super cheap. So, like, whoever's doing these little streaming platforms can uh, afford to have them. So you find them there a lot. Um, Just scrolling through my list here, uh, Demon City is a great one. That's a really great anime. Um... I haven't seen Neo Tokyo yet, which I want to see. That one looks fucking awesome. 1987. Um, I watched, it's kind of trashy and kind of fun. There's an anime from 1987 called Bubblegum Crisis. Um, really kind of trashy uh, about a bunch of, I think they're a private investigator. I think it was a, a group of women that were private investigators. And of course, it's like 1987 anime, so they're, Wearing skimpy clothing and driving on motorcycles, ninja bikes. Uh, fucking really cool. Really cool stuff. Um, I'm just going through to see if I can give you another one because I want to make sure that you guys are getting the best of the anime. What anime do you guys like? What are the ones that you guys are watching? Go to my Instagram and send me some suggestions because it blows my mind how many exist from the 1980s that I have never fucking seen before. I'm actually scrolling through a list of stuff right now that I'm like, 
what the fuck is a really random list and uh i have never seen that one either oh fucking rad um okay well that's my list for now that's a good start we'll put more in another episode um but definitely check them out and you know if you're somebody that watches a lot of that stuff on netflix right now like the old voltron uh, anime all that stuff that was all based on the original 1980s voltron stuff which was also based on a bunch of other japanese animated stuff so it's a really cool deep hole to fall into um and i watch these things specifically for the animation style and for the action style i fucking love them really cool stuff and of course on my list, like I said at the beginning, top of my list is the Ghost in the Shell movie. The initial one is fantastic. They redid it with like 3D animation stuff. Not as good. And then there's a second one. There's a Ghost in the Shell 2 movie, which is strange and dark and really kind of fun. And then I actually really got into the TV series. There's a bunch of different Ghost in the Shell TV series that are like procedurals about this strange police force that is dealing with ai and everything else so the tv series alone i was uh, i was hooked on that for like a month and change i actually binged all through that and that was a lot of fun too so if you guys are big fans of anime if you guys want to get into some new japanese anime if you want to figure out where all these styles came from where they originated from definitely go through the list and enjoy them and like i said Reach out to me on Instagram if you get suggestions of really hard-to-find anime that I have never seen before. And we get fucking nerdy about it. I'm into it. All right. And uh, that's it. I think I'm going to wrap this one out. As always, thank you to Code Electro. Code Electro has been doing some really cool stuff besides being on tour for the period of time that he was. I don't think he's still doing it because of Corona. But um, he was touring, and he's just been putting out new content. I think yesterday I just saw that he put out a new song. Uh, love the dude. I continue to love his support for the show. Definitely check him out. It's Code Electro on Instagram. I think he's just CodeElectro.com for his website. Uh, we'll try to put links below. So, as always, thank you for listening, everybody. And I will see you next Tuesday for this series and then you might hear from us on Friday as well. Later. <laughs>